about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. There is a time for everything, and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been, and what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. Well, good evening. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, it's great to be with you this evening as we continue this kind of journey through Ecclesiastes, looking for meaning in a strange time. Now, when COVID started and church went online, I remember saying uh, to my wife, I'm just, I'm going to be bored. I'm going to need some projects. And God has a great sense of humor and he shows that sometimes. And that was one of them because I've never been so short of time, uh, I feel, in my life. Uh, But not only did God reveal his sense of humor to me, but he's been showing me more of myself under pressure. And he's been working on this little project of Mike for the last few years, and he's been showing me that I have a complicated relationship with time. See, I'm 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 an epic optimist, and that creates a bit of drama in my life. Uh, I'm married to someone who's maybe less optimistic than me, and uh, I'm surrounded with people who are like that as well, and and so my optimism uh, creates kind of these time gaps uh, between what I think is possible and what is actually possible. Here's some of the things I find myself saying. There's not enough hours in the day. Put up your hand if you say that. Yeah, excellent. I'm amongst the friends here. If only I could go back in time. Today went so fast. Today was so slow. This week felt both fast and slow. Hmm. Um, I can give you some time. I don't have any time for that. Uh, And for workers at home, What day is it even? 
Our relationship with time has never been more complicated. But as I go through some of these statements, and you might think of several other examples of how you use time, you might just feel like you're being thrown around in this, in this kind of this ocean of, of time. Uh, fast, slow, desiring, enjoying, remembering. And yet, time is constant. It is calm. It's only the drama we bring to time that is choppy. See, I think our relationship with time shows us a couple of things. It shows us our heart. And as dependent creatures, it actually shows us our relationship with God. It shows us the nature of our dependence. Today's passage has kind of been an opportunity for me to explore what that relationship with my father is like, how I wrestle with that choppiness of my heart, And my hope is that as we wrestle with this tonight, uh, in a tumultuous season, that God might speak to you in this moment. It's funny that we designed this preaching series well before this year got underway, and so God has a purpose tonight. He has designed this moment that we might hear from Him tonight. And so let's dig in, verse 1. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. We've been following this this wise teacher um, who is gathering people um, and wants us to see what he sees. As a king, he has undertaken this project to see how things work in the world, and his summary is that things are meaningless. Well, that's maybe not a helpful word, as I said in, in week one. It's that meaning can't easily be grasped. It slips through our hands. And as he starts in this chapter, uh, keep, keep your Bibles open, uh, hold me accountable, uh, ask questions later. Um, as he undertakes this project, he notices that under heaven there is a season for everything, a time for everything. And he goes through a whole bunch of examples and he picks up on this kind of, almost a kind of uh, ancient um, agricultural kind of rhythm. But he makes it a philosophical statement. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. From birth to death, we find ourselves in these these cycles, these rhythms, up, down, round and round. And one of the first things that I notice as we read through this, and it's something that I've been noticing actually as we've been doing Ecclesiastes together, while I expected that the pessimism Almost the hopelessness of Ecclesiastes might be depressing. It's actually kind of brought us a strange sense of comfort because it's shown us the brutal reality of the world and we're like, oh, I'm glad someone else sees it. But the rhythm particularly of this part of chapter 3, the rhythm itself gives us comfort, I reckon. It shows us that, yes, there is kind of this, this nature to time. And as Kez already mentioned, uh, the birds made this famous uh, in 1965 when they sang. The, the, the people know, I mean, 1965, who, who's heard the song? There is a season. Okay, um, yep, excellent. The rhythm gives us comfort. It's a poppy kind of tune. It captures our attention. It even helps us play along. Rhythm helps us play along. There is a time to plant and a time to uproot. And if you ask a crop farmer, of which I am not, When you know what season it is, and you plant in the right season, and you harvest in the right season, things flourish. There are seasons to mourn, 
when we go to a funeral, when we lose a job even. There is a time to dance, maybe pre-COVID, but there is a time for everything. Now, it's not being prescriptive. The teacher here is not saying there is, there must be a time for this. He's just observing it. He's not saying there must be a time for hate. That kind of jars us when we read that one, right? Uh, There must be a time for war. No, he's not saying that. He's saying that as I observe the nature of time, there is indeed times of hate, times of war. Because in these rhythms, up, down, round, and round, some of them are easier, some of them are harder, some of them are emotional, some of them are horrible. But yet, round and round we go, temporal creatures in the march of time. But things get a bit more interesting. When you try and think about being in sync with the seasons, or more sharply, maybe even trying to make the seasons work for us, See, as smooth as the rhythms of this passage are, the rhythms show us that we're not in control. Straight up, the first kind of pair, there is a time to be born and a time to die, totally outside our control. A time for war, a time for peace, and we're swept up in the march of time. And what would happen if, and we've got to be careful adding words to Scripture, not really, I'm just following the logic, what if we added the line, a time for covid See, while these seasons can bring rhythm and comfort, there is a profound sense of powerlessness, especially in harder times, and those times leave us asking hard questions. Who is actually in control here? What's going on? When's the time for the next season? And as the teacher asks the negative question, verse 9, what do workers gain from their toil? As we go through these rhythms, round and round, up and down, you get to a point where you're like, what's the point? For those that have had to redo work this week, I hate redoing work. For those that are taking on more work with less resources. For those who have lost jobs, and it's happening as I speak to people in our community. Those who are struggling to summons the energy to go another round in the ring with the tyranny of time, you might be asking, what is the point? What do we gain from our toil? I'm sure you're with me that I'm up for a time to build, gather, mend, love. Great times. Love those times. There's a sense of gain, positivity. But what are we to say in seasons of tearing down, of scattering, of war, of hate? We could wait, I suppose, knowing that seasons come and seasons go, just wait for the next season. They're saying COVID's going to last a while. That's going to be hard. We could rage against it and make the time work for us. I mean, after all, we are the generation that that are told to create our destiny. But we're finding, actually, that that's actually not working out like we would have liked. Well, how about stuff it, just eat, drink, and be merry? How do you cope with the tyranny of time in this time? Well, as I said, in God's timing, he wanted us to hear this tonight. And so we get to follow the inquiry of the teacher as he wrestles with this this pressing question. What's the point? As we keep looking... We sort of continue with verse 10, as the, as the teacher, as this, uh, this, this wise teacher, zooms out, as it were. 
He says, I've seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. This is verse 10. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has set eternity on the human heart. And yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. What is this burden? Beauty, eternity, mystery. Beauty, eternity, and mystery. See, the thing is, is beauty, it, it, it pierces through the grim, doesn't it? Like when you're having a really rough day and you get a news that your mates just had a baby and you see pictures of the baby and it just puts a smile on your face. Or maybe even the simplicity of just a flower in bloom, a song, an act of love. These moments of beauty cut through the grim. And, and in philosophy, beauty is often considered an ultimate value, sort of showing us a window into all things that are ultimate and eternal. It shows us, as the teacher here says, that we were made for eternity. We've, had a, we've got eternity written on our hearts, and we're not satisfied until we can grasp that. As we go round and round, up and down, we have eternity written on our hearts. So what's the burden there? C.S. Lewis captures it well in this epic essay, The Weight of Glory. He writes, We do not want merely to see beauty, though, God knows, even that is bounty enough. We want something else, which can hardly be put into words, to be united with the beauty we see, to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, to become part of it. And as much as beauty shows us that we do indeed have eternity written on our hearts, we can't grasp it enough. It's like a drug, it sort of, it passes. And as beauty fades, and as we struggle to, to, to seize it, to let it define us, it becomes a burden. We get good news, yes. We get bad news, we're crushed. See, beauty as a window into eternity shows us that we actually are so far out of control. There is a mystery. We don't know what God is doing. And as temporal creatures with hearts for eternity, we long for so much more and cannot have it. There is this chasm that opens up between the temporal and the eternal, between what we see and infinite beauty. And on either side of that chasm, the teacher has two confessions for us. Verse 12, we st- confession number one, I know, he says, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat, drink, and find satisfaction in all their toil. Now, it's interesting to read that kind of moment of positivity, right? Because we read so much in Ecclesiastes that that work and toil is meaningless. And yet here he's saying, we know that that kind of, it is a good thing to find satisfaction in our toil. I mean, who doesn't know that? That, Of course that's a good thing. The problem is we can't have it for as long as we want. And it doesn't work on our terms. I know it's good, but I cannot grasp it. I cannot keep it. And across the other side of the chasm, he says this about God, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken from it. And we have God's sovereignty on display there. And I find two things happening with God's sovereignty. 
as a, as a temporal creature doing another round in the ring of, with a tyranny of time, I find God's sovereignty simultaneously comforting and oppressive. Like sometimes you just feel like a little puppet in the hands of a puppet master. You're like, what, what are you doing, God? What connects this mystery, the two chasms, the finite and the infinite, are two things. That satisfaction is a gift and to fear God. See, this idea of gift, you just see it there in verse 12. Let me look it up in my Bible app here. In verse 12, uh, I know there is nothing better for people than to be happy, to do good while they live, that each of you may eat, drink, and be merry, and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is a gift from God. You cannot seize it, but it is a gift given. And we find a few times in Ecclesiastes that while we can't manufacture meaning, it is available to us if we receive it. It's a gift. Let me tell you a story. At the beginning of COVID, and particularly when schools were closed, we went through one of the most difficult seasons that our family has been through. One of my children was struggling in a way that I didn't appreciate, and that all caught on fire in a pretty significant way. And I noticed that in myself, a stress that I had not seen before. I felt absolutely hopeless. Professional services weren't available as fast as we needed them. And I wasn't able to control the circumstances of each day. I was tossed around in stressful circumstances, feeling helpless. I tell you this because there was a gift in that season. Although if you told me it in that moment, I probably would have, well, I wouldn't have laughed at you, it would have probably punched you, but the gift was that in about a month or two back, I was talking to someone who was helping me process all that happened, and I found these words on my lip, lips as I was reflecting on that moment. I said to him, I now see that season as a sovereign gift. What had I discovered? God had shown me He had stripped away the illusion that I was in control in the first place. I took into that season a feeling that I was in control and God stripped that away from me because I was never in control. I just had the illusion of it. But secondly, he stripped me of the illusion that I'm able to make things work like I wanted them to. I can be quite good at that. And and God took that away to show me just how creaturely and dependent I am. It was a gift that God would show me this, that he would show me a satisfaction in in, in hard times that I couldn't read about in a book, that I had to be guided through a season of time. See, the gift in Ecclesiastes is that moment where the mysterious God is able to flip the season, to show you that something that is bad can actually be turned around to something that is good. Now, we all try and do this, right? Like whether you're a believer or not, we're all looking for the silver lining, a way to sort of spin the kind of terrible story as if there's something good in there. And we see this in our language all the time, like, you know, uh, well, maybe there's there's something good in that. Like we're sort of digging around, searching for what that good is in the bad. But the thing is, the way we can do that is by putting it in a larger story. 
And when we're kind of fiddling around for kind of, or sort of foraging for, for kind of positivity to try and share with people who are doing it hard, oh, I'm sure there's going to be something good in it for you. Don't worry, it'll, be, it'll come good. There's no story there. There's no confidence there. It's just platitudes. What we have is a story that we can have confidence in. It's a story that's summarized in fear God. Revere him. He is indeed mysterious. He is indeed sovereign. And we can see his mysterious sovereignty play out in the story of God and humanity. From creation to fall to promise. And that's as much as the Ecclesiastes teacher had. But we have something more. Because we have seen this mysterious God actually reveal himself. Reveal his plans. We have seen redemption in Christ crucified and resurrected. And we have seen glory. And now we've been given His Spirit. We are now joined with God, the eternal God, in time. As we fear God, we are invited to not only see time differently, but, and not just to gain an eternal perspective, but to trust that God can work through every season. Every season. Up, down, round and round, every season. What are we to gain from our toil? A new and radical appreciation of who God is and what He's doing. We often see character revealed under pressure. And what we have in Jesus is the revelation of the mysterious God in time and under pressure. I I draw from this verse particularly, where this came off the words, the lips of Jesus, in a time of great pressure. It was towards the end of his ministry. In fact, he was, this is this high priestly prayer from John 17. He's about to be arrested and crucified. His disciples are about to abandon him. And what would you be praying in that dark season if kind of, if time goes up and down and round and round? You might be praying, oh God, this is a dark time. Would you help me get through it, over it? Would you make it better? Well, Jesus says this, the hour has come. The time is here now in the midst of this darkness. So glorify your son, he prays, that your son might glorify you. And this is the gift, to be able to trust that God is able to shine light into the darkness, to flip the season, to show his sovereignty actually weaving through the up, down, and around, and around. And we are invited to have confidence that God indeed is working, even when we feel he is mysterious. And the confidence we have is that Jesus, God heard this prayer. And while he did die, we know that God raised him up. God did not abandon him to the grave. And so now we can rewrite the scripts, the scripts we run in time, Because we only see moment to moment, but we are now joined through the Spirit with God who is eternal in this moment. And one of the most profound things for me as a direct result of this is that in the midst of this COVID tumultuous season, 
We are free to pray, God, make this better. Get me through this. Get me over it. But we can also pray something more profound. What are you showing me now of yourself? What is the good work you have prepared for me to do now? How might you help me trust in you in new, radical ways now? We're not just to get through it and over it. We're to ask God to work in us now and we're to trust Him that He can indeed work His glorious ways in this moment. You know, we began the year as a church saying, let's kind of put this banner over this year of God gives the growth. And I don't know if, if, if you're like me, but you know, when we were thinking about uh, this kind of this season of God gives the growth taken straight out of 1 Corinthians, you know, I had, this, had this, all these, these ideas of fantastic ministries, kind of, you know, things kind of really flourishing, people coming in, kind of connecting with our community, and then COVID, right? <laughs> and you're like, well, there goes the growth. Except what is God doing? He is growing us in deeper ways than we could have with, couldn't have without COVID. He is forcing us to trust Him in radical ways. And not only that, but He's drawing people to Himself that I couldn't have connected with. People who are kind of disoriented in the shifting sands of this moment and are looking for solid ground. People who are walking through the doors of our church and watching online perhaps, and I know there's stories of this. I've had chats with many people even this week like this. God is indeed growing us and bringing growth even in a time such as this. And it's all because of the confidence we can have in Jesus that we can press into this moment, not just long for it to go away. Ecclesiastes 3 reminds us that the rhythms of time give us comfort. But there is indeed a tyranny to time, a burden of beauty, eternity, and the mystery of God. And yet that chasm has been crossed between the temporal and the eternal. In Jesus Christ, the eternal God made known in time. And now having received the Spirit and been bound up in the story of this eternal God in time, we can have confidence and kind of look at this at this kind of this moment in an eternal perspective, but have confidence that God can work His glory in this moment. I'm running out of time. <laughs> Let me just put a few hooks out there as I finish. Uh, maybe you might want to pick them up in Q&A or in conversations afterwards. Uh, but the breadth of kind of, and the profoundness of this will flow out into all kinds of different ways. Because this very moment, even though we're all sharing it, is actually very different for each one of us. Some of us are up, some of us are down. Some of us are going around and feeling energized and some of us are exhausted. So what is the truths of God's good news for us tonight saying to you in each of your moments? Here's a few things. Number one. Our time is often filled by fear. When you look at your schedules and the things that you're driving for, so much of that is bound up in fear. Fear of deadlines, fear of being approved. How might fearing God actually surpass the fears that drive your rhythms? How might the beauty of Christ melt away those fears? What might your calendar look like when you fear God above all else? Secondly, living in the moment 
I would love to live in the moment. It's such a beautiful kind of phrase of kind of freedom and kind of like sort of the mystery of discovering what's next and just embracing that moment. But what if this moment sucks? (laughs) I guess that's what we're discovering in this moment. But with Christ securing new life, forgiveness in the cross and the resurrection, and also securing our future in, in that He's given us eternity, gifted it to us by grace, with our past and future secured, how does that actually free us up, liberate us in this moment to actually truly love? Because to love, it's actually about being freed up to to work for the good of others, not for yourself and your own advancement. Our advancement secured. So how does this eternal view of time and kind of the, the confidence we have that God can glorify in, in this moment, how does that actually change the way we live in this moment? Thirdly, being and doing. In my kind of busy rhythms, I so easily fill my calendar with all the activities under the heavens and crowd out what it is to be with God even if I'm doing stuff for God, one of the things God's shown me in this time is that I am a human being made to be in relationship with Him. If I busy myself up so much with all the activities under the heavens, trying to seize the moment of each time, then I've lost what it means to be with God. How might I be before doing? And fourthly, how might we create genuine space to grieve? God's glory comes through the conformity of the cross. And it's hard. So in this moment, I'm not saying that God's just going to like flip your hard day, this hard moment, and just make it all roses. That wasn't my case. And I don't know what's around the corner yet. How might you take time to grieve and process the really hard stuff that is happening and give that over to God and fear Him above what you're struggling with and still genuinely grieve? There's a few things. For such a time as this, we need Jesus more than ever. Not just to gain an eternal perspective, but to believe that God really is at work in this moment for His glory. So let me pray. Father, there are many people in this room, a number of people watching online. You know this moment intimately for every single one of us. Father, would you lift us up? Would you strengthen us? And would you give us a real sense of confidence that you are with us and that you have not abandoned us? And so fill us with your spirit that we might be brought into a fresh appreciation of who you are in this very moment. Father, help us to trust you so that you might glorify us and we might glorify you in all that we do. In this moment we pray. Amen.
for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.